Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Wood. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. Hi, this is the final episode for season one of At the Same Time, and it's a continuation of our conversation with Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Weiss, Rabbi Bernholtz, and Cantor Canizaro of the Sharat Zedek Congregation. And really, I'm not going to say a lot to introduce the episode because, quite frankly, Our guests do a far more beautiful and eloquent job of discussing the subject matter at hand. Uh, But what I will tell you is that if you haven't yet listened to part one, because this is a two-parter, you need to go back and listen to part one with the rabbis and the cantor, and then come on back to hear the conclusion of our conversation. Enjoy. You know, as you talk about interactions, have you all had the need to perhaps form partnerships in the wider community with other, uh, let's say, faith groups? In other words, um, let's say like you, you have a very united com- uh, community in your, um, in your synagogue, but there may be other groups of people who may not necessarily have that. Have they reached out to you in any way for assistance? I think I've had other cantors reach out to me. Okay. Uh, we have an organization called the Bay Area Cantors Association, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm the president. And we are planning right now to do a Zoom concert, hopefully sometime. Oh, wow. And, and that's going to be fun. It's going to be different because yeah. we usually do an annual concert where we raise money and then we donate it to one of the cantorial schools so that we can offer scholarships to people who are working toward their cantorial degree. And we're going to be doing a concert. I'm not sure how we'll raise money that way. Probably not this year, but we'd like to at mm-hmm. least reach people. That's yeah. one way. Yeah, I mean, I think there are different. So the, the technology piece, right? We, as a synagogue, were streaming our services. We were doing classes by Zoom before this yeah. started. So, so this was definitely a place where other synagogues and some neighboring churches came for for technology help. Yeah. But I think it does go beyond that. And and you know, I have had conversations with some pastor friends um, because we're all going through the same thing, and. You know, I, I think religion has been in the spotlight a lot over the last few months because there's kind of been this trope of, you know, well, why can I do this and this and this, but I can't go to church yeah. or synagogue? Um, and, you know, I think it puts religious leadership in in a tough spot because, you know, we recognize, yes, you can go to the grocery store, you can do these things and and what does it mean to be essential? Mm-hmm. And I think what we've found and, and you know, I, I've never had any question, are we essential? I think we're essential. I think what we provide to people is extremely essential yeah. right now, but we've found that we can do it without being physically together. Yeah. And at this time, not being together is essential mm-hmm. because every interaction we limit, we're, 
you know, potentially, right, we're, we're potentially preventing the, the spread right. of, of, of the virus. So, um, you know, but that said, the ones who are most vulnerable and the elderly, you know, are also the ones in a lot of ways who, who are having the hardest time with the, the technology. And a lot of, I mean, we, we have a senior luncheon, again, even without the free food, um, <laughs> we still have our seniors coming together for lunch um, from home, but we're missing a lot of people who would have been in the building. Yeah. And that's where the old fashioned phone becomes so important in making sure you're making those calls yeah. and, and that people know mm-hmm. that we're there. I, I think, I think what you might've been asking is if we're seeing people coming to our, our programming who aren't Jewish, but who are looking for that, that something. And I don't Yes, they're looking for that connection. Um, yes. And I don't know that we've seen an increase. You know, we always have people who are interested in Judaism who um, who come to us. Judaism is not a proselytizing mm-hmm. religion. Um, we're not looking for people to convert, but we do accept conversion. And I think what appeals to people in Judaism is everything that we've been talking about up to right. now, right? That you can question, that you can experience it differently, um, that, that you can be in a community with people who, who are so different from one another, but who share a common bond, um, you know, in, in some ways, and it'll be interesting to see this year. Um, I don't know if that will be the same right now. I think in some ways it might not be because while Judaism is something you can do alone, um, it is hard to do in a group. And, and even though Rabbi Weiss is, as rabbi, is able to come in and meet a lot of people, um, I worry, and something that we're working on, is what would it be to be new to our community right now and not be oh, rabbi? No. When such an important mm-hmm. part is that social connection, and in the virtual world, you're able to maintain relationships, but I think creating new ones is is difficult. Yeah. That's a really good point because even like if I think about um, online friendships or online dating, like it, it might be a place where you meet, but you get to know and you bond with people by physically being in the same space. Mm-hmm. I will. St- Especially when it. No, I'm sorry. Ahead. I was finished that because I wanted to change. Talk about something else. Yeah, because because it's not the one on one is important, but it's also feeling part of that bigger yeah. group. So it's not just making a one-on-one friendship, it's becoming part of a community. And and that's, I think you can create one-on-one friendships um, online. And I think we've seen that. But I think because we are actually social beings, we appreciate the one-on-one, but we want that group experience. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will agree with you on that one. But I want to point out one positive spin on COVID. There aren't a whole lot of them, but the one thing that I have seen that I've observed is that we are reaching a group of people who heretofore were not able to attend either services or other things that we might have been able to offer. I know that I've had some people in classes who don't normally come because they are on Zoom and they can reach. We've had some services where we had far more attendees at our Zoom 
service than we had when it was in person, simply because they're in the morning, usually on a weekday, and those people couldn't come. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is Shabbat is for all that we want to have people at our services is really a home holiday. It's something that we encourage people doing at home and being together on Shabbat. And I think we have seen a lot of families, some families coming together at home on Shabbat and watching the service as a family, as opposed to, I don't want to go to services. And so the father or the mother comes by themselves. Uh, So it's an, it, there are some positive aspects to this that I think that things that are happening that are positive. I wouldn't want this to be the way it is forever, but there are some good things that are coming out of it that when someday we go back to normal, I hope God is listening, that we, some of these things will continue. One of the good things that has happened reminds me of my very first days as a rabbi right out of rabbinical school when I first would visit people in the hospital, and this was about three weeks in. And then after that, I would be at a Friday night service and somebody would come and they would, I would introduce myself to them. And then he or she would say, oh, Rabbi, don't you remember me? I, you visited me in the hospital room. <laughs> and my immediate answer was, yeah, but I don't recognize you with your clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) That illustrates one of the great benefits, though we didn't think about it before, is that people can be on Zoom without being seen. So Mm -hmm. people can come to services or they can be involved in adult education without us seeing them and then sometimes without us hearing them. So somebody who might have been in a class who didn't want to say anything is able now to be the fly on the wall without being seen or heard. One of the great so true. one of the great stories in Judaism from what we call Midrash, it comes from the book of Genesis, where After each day of creation, God says, behold, it is good. And one of the rabbis asked, well, is everything good? And the answer is, even the bad can sometimes be good. If it weren't for our uh, Yetzir Hara, our not-so-good nature, our ambition, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't build houses, go into business, get married, have children. So it tells us that we... every point in our life, when things happen that are challenges, that it's important for us to be able to step back, take a look at it, take a look at the challenge perhaps in a new light, and at that point, see an opportunity. It doesn't work in every case. When you lose a family member to COVID, Mm -hmm. that certainly doesn't work. On the other hand, As they say, when one door closes, another can open. We're hearing now examples of how that's happened. And the lessons we learn from it, I think, are going to continue even when we can come back as a community. I've been talking to my to my classmates, all of whom are, you know, starting their rabbinic careers during all of this. And uh, pretty much all of us have our grandparents showing up to everything. So that's a positive for them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and they get to see everything we're doing. So, 
Yeah, that's, that's such a very good perspective to look at life, that, you know, things that are bad may not necessarily be bad. It's just a matter of stepping back and seeing what good can come from it. I think that yes. really, um, I'm sorry, Cantor? No, no, I'm agreeing 100%. Oh. I think that also dovetails into another question that we had for all of you, which is, how does the Jewish faith tradition and philosophy kind of speak to this time of like, what does one do, you know, in a pandemic to, to get through? So I, I think that the, there are a few guiding principles um, and we'll all have different guiding principles and, and we'll even look at the same one differently. Um, but the first is saving yes. a life is saving yes. the world. And that's been a guiding principle for, for I think, so many in our community that, that when you destroy a life, you've destroyed an entire world, the world that will come from, from that life. And when you save that life, you save the whole world. So of all the laws, and I know we spoke earlier that, you know, Reform Judaism looks at the law differently, but in Orthodoxy and in, in, in all branches of Judaism, saving a life is more important than, than the other laws. So while in Orthodox Judaism, you don't drive on Shabbat, you don't drive on the Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, an Orthodox ambulance driver does. um, Because getting to that person in need is more important than the laws of of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, as as Jewish tradition has been turned on its head, that's been the guiding principle that whatever we can do to to save and preserve life, we, we need to do. Um, a text that, that I've used quite a bit is um, from, from the Torah, from those first five books in the Bible. And, and it says that when you build a home, you have to put a, um, it's a parapet, a fence around the roof. And the idea is that the roof is a dangerous place. So when you're on the roof, you want to make sure that you're kept safe. Now, the fence doesn't keep someone from falling off the fence, off the roof, but it helps prevent it. So I think as I've been looking at what's happening in our world and do I wear a mask, do I not wear a mask, do I go to the store, do I not go to the store, that there are risks that we have to take. And when we do, we want to make sure we're taking every precaution possible. So if you have to go on the roof, you make sure you have that fence. But at the same time, we're not encouraged to throw parties on the roof, right? <laughs> right. You, you go on the roof when you have to go on the roof. So to be limiting what we do, to be limiting those times when we need those safety precautions, I believe is a, a religious obligation as well. So do what you have to do. And when you do it, do it as safely as you possibly can. Um, but don't push it and, and don't go on the roof when, when you don't have to. Um, so I think that's kind of the logistical piece, and we can definitely go further, but I'm, I'm excited to hear what what my, my friends have to share as well. All right. I've been thinking about it from the perspective of like perseverance and creativity in times of upheaval. Mm-hmm. This past month, we commemorated a holiday called Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the month of Av. Um, and it's a fast day where you don't eat or drink, and it commemorates the destruction of the first and second temples in Jerusalem. A long, long time ago, right? And when those were standing, they were the only place where people could worship. They would worship God through animal sacrifice. And when the the temples were destroyed, they had to figure 
figure out entirely new ways to be Jewish. Um, that's how we end up with prayer and study as being so central to Judaism, that when the temple was destroyed, some of the rabbis had the foresight to say, we need to do things differently or we're not going to exist, you know, even a hundred years from now. Uh, so they came up with new ways to worship. And there's a story that stuck with me. Uh, it takes place in the first century CE, and it's right after the destruction of this would be the second temple. And Yohanan ben Zakkai, who was one of the most important rabbis at the time, um, he's standing on a cliff viewing the destruction with his student, uh, Rabbi Yehoshua. And Yehoshua says, Rabbi, what, what are we supposed to do? Woe unto us. H how are we going to worship God now? And Yohanan ben Zakkai, he says, Yehoshua, do not worry. There is another kind of repentance that God desires, and that is acts of loving kindness. Even 2,000 years ago, uh, this rabbi understood that in times of upheaval, when the world changes, you need to change along with it. I think that that has applied to us as a community in terms of mm -hmm. finding new platforms for programs and trying lots of different things. I think it also applies to the individual. You know, the things mm -hmm. that we did to get through the day to motivate us to get out of bed in the morning. And I know there are days where it's easier or harder than others, uh, myself. Those things might not always work anymore. We have to take a really hard look at ourselves and the way that we live our lives and see what we need to change. It, it might mean doing a little less of one thing. It might mean doing a little more of something else. Um, I think that communally we reorient and, and personally reor we reorient too. But that requires uh, listening really closely to the voice within and, and hearing our own needs. Mm. I like that because it, it yeah. kind of speaks to the fact that the world changes and sometimes in dramatic ways. And that doesn't, that doesn't have to stop people or stop faith. Oh, I don't exactly. think it does. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't think, look, we are humanity. We've been around for a while. We're pretty good at adapting. And we've had some interesting things happen in our world and change, and we've adapted and changed along with it. So a lot of it, I think, as human beings, we can't adapt and change. It's not always fun, and we'll go kicking yeah. and screaming into it, but we will adapt and change. So true. A couple of the lessons that I've been trying to teach or helpful hints that I've been giving to congregants who call is number one, to be aware of your own feelings. How are you feeling about what's going on? The simple act of doing that takes them, and I remind them of this, takes them from being victims of what's going on around them and puts them in charge just by being in charge of their feelings, by being able to label their feelings. And my hope is that that then makes them realize that they have the power to respond and make changes that the challenges have presented to them. And, and then I generally ask them to look at what's happening to them, whether it's isolation or fear, and to then think about what it is they're feeling in a way that will help them look at the problem in a way that it can be solved. 
that last part is a major, major step. What can I do rather than look at how helpless I am? What can I do to uh, talk to my neighbor? What can I do to uh, make sure that I safely bring food into my home? What are the steps that I can take? You have to just keep going. And as you go, sometimes you invent things as you actually go along. So you don't have to see the solution to the problem. Sometimes you just have to take that first step. And that then leads to my third, which is you have to give yourself time to solve challenges and problems. There's a saying in the Talmud that though you do not have to complete the task, at the same time, you're not free to desist from starting it. You have to put one foot in front of the other. You never know where it's going to take you. There's a great Midrash, a story in Exodus about the splitting of the Red Sea. Until one God, Moses raises the staff to split the sea, but until one of the Israelites takes the courage, not knowing what's going to happen in the future, to simply go out and walk into that sea before it split, until it was up to his nostrils that God realized that we human beings as co-partners were actually doing something to help ourselves. And once God saw that, that was the trigger that enabled God to make miraculously the sea split so that everybody could walk through. So taking that first step, giving yourself time, but actually taking that step made all the difference in the world. And to me, that's the kind of encouragement that I try to give to congregants. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I started out uh, a while ago now, um, sharing that as Reformed Jews, we may not follow the letter of the law, but we try to get to, to the values or, or what that tradition can give us. And, um, you know, I think one that can be really helpful that I use a lot, but I think for, for your listeners and for our congregants, it, it can be helpful, is what happens when when you have a death close to you and the, the mourning ritual of Judaism. And when you learn of the loss of a loved one, first you're in this period of, of shock. And traditionally mourning does not begin until the funeral, that you're in this period of, of, um, of, of shock and, and of, of not knowing exactly where you are and of, of figuring out what to do next, um, how to set up for the funeral. And then with the funeral, mourning begins. And for seven days, what we call Shiva, you stay at home, the community comes to you and all you're supposed to do is focus on your mourning, focus on your sadness. And then when the seven days is over, you go back out into the world. Um, but whether you're wearing the, the ribbon with the tear or not shaving, you know, you have a way of saying to those around you, I may be doing things that look normal, but I'm not normal. I'm still living with, with my loss. And that's for the 30 days after the death. And then for a child, for a year, that child is in mourning and they live their life, but they do certain things to show that 
that they're mourning. They don't go to concerts or parties, um, you know, the other other ways of, of showing that mourning. And for a year, because a child has never experienced life without their parent, so they're experiencing everything for the first time. And then after the year, their mourning is supposed to be over. And what I try to teach is, is mourning can come not just with death, that mourning comes anytime reality is different than expectation or anytime we find out something isn't what we thought oh, it yeah. was and that you go through that process. And even if you don't follow the letter of the law of mourning, right, first thing you have to do is acknowledge that you've experienced a loss and live in that loss for a little bit. And I think at this time, whether it's a graduation or a life cycle event, you know, we work with a lot of wedding couples and people who've been so excited for these celebrations or a loss of a job or, um, or, or a loss of life, which, um, you know, so many have faced to let yourself just be sad for the loss that you've experienced. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, how do I move forward acknowledging that I've experienced a loss, that life is different, that I'm in mourning, but I also still have to live? And how do I make that transition back to life, still acknowledging my loss, but also getting back to what I need to Mm -hmm. do? And then what does it mean to move forward in a way that you don't forget about the loss, but that you allow yourself to live in, in the new reality, um, to live fully in the new reality. And, and I think we're all in different stages of that. And, and this is a little different because we do have another side, right? We do know that we're going to come out of this, um, even if we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But I think people are in mourning and people are, are missing what they had and, um, and we're all in different stages of, of, of how to get through that. Yes, that is so well put. We um in the uh, we've enjoyed just listening to you and the many messages that you've had to share with us. Um, I hope that you've had as much fun as we have. Uh, but we would like to respect your time because we've had you on for more than an hour now. I know. I'm kind of like, oh, I want to keep going, but yes. we, we are over <laughs> what we told you we would, yeah, we okay. would uh, do. But, but I'll tell you what, before, before we go, we have a question that we typically ask all our guests, and we would be honored if you each would answer this question. It has nothing to do with the pandemic, but just with you personally. And that is, um, what would each one of you tell your 15-year-old self if you had the opportunity? Oh. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to go back and speak to that self? Get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if you if you had the opportunity to go back to your fit and to, and give advice to your fifteen year old self, what would you tell that person? Hmm. A thought provoking wow. moment, huh? Who wants to go yeah. first? Rabbi Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said that he wanted to get a haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. 
look, I think, and, and, and we do, all of us work with a lot of teenagers. So I think, yeah. you know, it's trying to, to differentiate maybe kind of where we normally go versus honestly thinking about who we were at that point and, and, and yes. who we are now. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. I think so much of, of my teenage years were thinking about the way I wish things were. Um, and who I wish I was and who I wish I, I was friends with and, um, you know, what I wish I had. And, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that I would say, think about what you wish things were and work toward that, but don't discount who you are now. And really think about who you want to be in the context of what makes you you now. Um, and I think I got there eventually of, you know, growing up in a way that embraced who I am at my core. But I think it's really important to, to make sure that you don't lose that core in trying to aspire to, um, to your goals. My answer would be very short, but repeated often. And that is, I'm proud of you and I love you. Mm-hmm. Because it, it is true. I love my sons and my grandchildren for who they are, as they are, as God made them. I don't know what they're going to face in life. But I do know that if they go into life knowing that their father and their mother and those who are important to them love them as they are because of who they are, then they will be able, out of their confidence, to react and to find meaning in and feel positive about whatever it is they face. That just triggered mine, Rabbi. Mm -hmm. So I have hanging in my office one of my favorite, favorite sayings, and I would have said this to my 15-year-old self, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And is that from the help? It is. Yeah. And I grew up during that time. Rabbi remembers that time. Yeah. Uh, it is, <laughs> I would say that, and most importantly, don't be afraid. Be, don't be afraid. That's probably the advice I would give my 15-year-old self. All right, I've, I've got one. Um, okay. I think it also works for, for now also. I, I would say don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. Um, there's nothing noble in struggling or suffering alone. Um, for the people who love you, being let in on your challenges is never going to be an undue burden. It is a gift to help others. It's also a great gift to let others help you. This, this is all so good and stuff that I wish that I, you know, <laughs> knew what, thought about when I was 15. And I think it's helpful if we have any teenagers listening as well as just, this is, I guess what I'm hearing from all of you is just, a profound kindness, like just giving, giving that to ourselves. Um, and we don't, I, I don't know that we do that enough. So, um, so thank you for, for those thoughts and, and perspectives. Well, that's um, very kind of you. <laughs> Thanks for this opportunity. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, we have loved it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I learned so much and got a chance to shift perspective and kind of expand how I think about what we're going through and perseverance and all of that. So thank you so much for, for talking with us and agreeing to come on the podcast. And thank you. Thank you. Really. We appreciate Our it. Pleasure. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you for asking us. <laughs> a big thank you to Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Weiss, Rabbi Bernholtz and Cantor Canizaro for taking the time to talk with us. And I, I felt really enriched by the conversation and have a new perspective on what we're all going through and how to keep going. Um, so that's it for season one of At The Same Time. Um, I would also like to thank all of the guests that have given time to mom and me and to all of our listeners. The conversations have been enlightening, they've been really fun, and really they've helped us to get an idea of how this pandemic is affecting people in different parts of the world from different walks of life, and that was really what we set out to do. So thank you all for taking the time to talk with us, and to you, our listeners, thank you so much for going on this journey. Mom and I are total newbies when it comes to podcast hosting and producing and we really love that so many of you have um, come on the journey with us and have taken the time to listen and have hopefully enjoyed um, the episodes. So as a little teaser for you, there may be some bonus content headed your way. So if you want to make sure to catch that, please go ahead and subscribe to At The Same Time wherever you get your podcasts. So we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and we are on Amazon Music's newly launched podcast platform as well. So you can find us just about anywhere. And we are also on the web at sametimepod.fireside.fm. Um, so like I said, there's probably going to be some bonus content coming your way and possibly an invitation as well. And if we're lucky and all goes as planned, there will be a season two. Take care of yourselves. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to At The Same Time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at sametimepod. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2020 by Mikkel Rogers Wood, PhD, and Elsa Rogers, PhD.